You're listening to Youth Ministry Maverick, a podcast about mold-breaking methods to invest in the next generation of the church. Here's your host, Jeff Harding. What's going on, everybody? This is Jeff. Welcome back to Youth Ministry Maverick. You're listening to episode 97, Reflections on Racial Tension. Well, this episode uh, is meant to include reflections I've had over the last three years. Uh, Recently, the three-year anniversary of George Floyd's death, uh, which was the kickoff for a lot of conversation and just overall tension racially in the culture in 2020. Um, And I had two ladies uh, on my podcast for episode six. Back then, the podcast was every other week, so I recorded on an off week and released it because I wanted to get the conversation going because of its importance. Uh, Michaela and Carly, uh, I had met and known Michaela for years. Uh, I met her back when I was a college intern at her home church in South Florida. And her friend Carly, uh, she introduced me to her. Uh, Carly, uh, Carly at the time was in Oklahoma and Michaela at the time was in Florida, two different places. Um, they're both African American ladies in ministry at the time. Uh, and so, um, they both have ministry ties now. I think Carly, uh, is now, um, a teacher, which is awesome. Um, but I wanted to have them on because obviously they're, Context and experience is a lot different than mine, and uh, they extended a lot of grace to me in that conversation, and uh, their input was very valuable. Since that time, uh, I've learned a lot of things, and I have recorded and deleted and recorded and deleted um, this intro several times, so that and a week of VBS is why my voice is hoarse. Um. So I'm not going to fill this with 20 minutes of rambling, which is what I just did on the the last attempt that I deleted. Um, I'm just going to say these short things and then replay the conversation from three years ago. One, which I already mentioned, um, these ladies extended a lot of grace to me in this conversation. Um, I probably shouldn't have been the one to lead it, even though it's my podcast. Um, I really should have just ask them the initial question of how they're feeling and how this builds on their already um, hard and unique experiences as people of color and as women. And both those things together in ministry certainly is a lot different context than mine and should have listened probably just for most of it. Um, So I appreciate the grace they extended me. Um, Two, I've seen a lot of churches and Christian thought leaders over the last three years, try hard to establish good, healthy dialogue um, and talk about things that people don't want to talk about in church um, because politically, uh, they're just hot-button issues that people have a default response to fire off and they don't need to apply critical thinking. They, They can just say, well, it's all because of this and it's all because of that or no, it's fake news and it's woke and blah, blah, blah. Um... There are always things being missed 
when two extremes are just firing off default responses and not listening to each other and not listening to anybody else. They just are looking for people to affirm their already closed-minded echo chamber opinions. Um, But those churches and thought leaders I mentioned, which have um, real attempts and real experiences um, to try and show people that um, there are a lot of realities that people like me who are white are ignorant of and have not lived. And it's good to hear the experiences um, of our black, uh, Asian, Hispanic, um, all people of color, uh, our brothers and sisters in Christ, especially. We should be hearing them in the context of how we should approach ministry. Um, three years ago, I mentioned in the setup that I saw youth workers um, asking how to talk to their youth ministries and students about prejudice and racial tension and justice. It shouldn't be controversial uh, to say those things, but even something so plainly clear and spoken, we'll always have a handful of people who say, uh, yeah, but, and that's just sad. So I applaud people like Michaela and Carly uh, and other believers, uh, their churches, other Christian thought leaders who have really tried hard to uh, explain their experience, um, talk about the realities that affect people who are different from us, and to know that listening and humility and growth um, are all very important characteristics of followers of Jesus. We are being transformed all the time, but too often people who um, have extreme positions on things act as though um, they've arrived years ago and everyone should get on their level and just know the truth and right things like they do. And um, without fail, all of the smartest people, and I'm not just saying, you know, okay, they're they're smart and they're bright. No, I'm talking about those handful, and it's no bigger than a handful, of people you know or have ever met who really define the word smart. Like you just realize after hearing them talk for a few minutes that they are beyond any intellectual capability you will ever arrive at. Um, for all those people that I've ever met, their humility is off the charts. They can talk circles around anyone's opinion um, or research thought or anything, and they arrive at the same conclusion of, okay, that's good. You have your points, I have mine, and their points are like five times more than the other ones. But they want to listen with respect, and they want to know if they're wrong, and they want to know how they can grow. That is how believers in Jesus, believers of Jesus and followers of Jesus should act, especially with anything, um, as Michaela said in the conversation, when there's a group of people crying out for help and understanding, hear that cry. Uh, That line, that... uh, rhetoric and experience of her and Carly and people of color of what she voiced in our conversation three years ago uh, will always stick with me. So I do pity 
people who really just can't see past their own preconceived notions and comfortable boundaries of not wanting to be challenged and only wanting to be affirmed in what they quote-unquote know is the truth. I'm constantly being humbled and being grateful for hearing the experiences of others and learning how to grow in my capacity to understand, appreciate, love, hear from, and do life with brothers and sisters in Christ um, of all backgrounds, ethnicities, experiences, and perspectives. Um, And this conversation was valuable. Again, they extended a lot of grace to me. And so listening to it, I winced for sure and thought to myself, Jeff, just shut up and let them talk and don't try and fill in the blanks. But um, it's good to hear the mistakes of others so that you don't repeat them. And um, it doesn't count for much in a surface level observation, but certainly, and I'm grateful for the ladies for knowing my intentions, uh, was just trying to spell out for youth workers who are white things that uh, we wrestle with and that we try and deal with as far as trying to understand how to live with, live through, and explain things that are happening to people we love and people that we're concerned about because we can't relate because um, we're not in their shoes with their realities in life and uh, life experiences and backgrounds. So listen to this conversation from three years ago. Think about how you're learning and growing um, and how to help people understand that racial tension is real. Racial reconciliation is a worthy pursuit. And we need to acknowledge that there are issues of justice that this next generation can really help make a dent in for the sake of the gospel. Here's this conversation from three years ago. Michaela and Carly, I again thank you, and let's keep learning and growing, people like me, white people, um, to understand our brothers, our brothers and sisters in Christ of color and how we can help hear one another and move forward together for the sake of the gospel. Michaela and Carly, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, For those who don't know you, uh, can you give us a quick overview of who you are, your background, and what you're up to these days? Sure. Um, I am currently in South Florida, um, Stewart, Florida, and I've been serving as the youth director for about six years now. Um, I work with uh, 6th through 12th grade, but also I'm the discipleship person, so I work with everybody else too. Um, which has been a lot of fun. And um, I've been learning a lot in this context um, because I have a very unique perspective where I am. Um, Florida is, you kind of have to go north to get south. Um, And so it's just a very interesting mix of uh, people and um, socializing and all that good stuff. So, um, so yeah, it's been an interesting uh, journey from here on out. So. Perfect. And Carly, how about you? All right. So I am from Lawton, Oklahoma, lived here pretty much my entire life and work as a youth and a children's pastor at a church called Zoe Christian Center. Um, but I also just got hired as a fifth grade teacher. So I'm oh, going to wow. be awesome. around <laughs> kids and teenagers all the time, but it's, yeah. fine. it's fine. Wow. That is quite the bivocational position to be in <laughs> education. 
<laughs> yeah, with the same group that you have at church. More power yes, to you. That that's awesome. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, well, great, great. Uh, thank you again both for joining me. I'm really excited about this. Um, as far as uh, man, such a relevant, important topic, and one that I think uh, many people, especially um, white people, have struggled to. Uh, how to bring this up well uh, with your youth group, but even with themselves and their family and friends. Um, so listeners, as I mentioned in the intro today, we will be talking about uh, how to teach our students about racism, prejudice, um, what it looks like in today's culture and society, and why those things stand opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, nearly all of us are familiar with the stories that make national headlines. Uh, most recently, the stories of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, and of course, George Floyd. Uh, however, many of us are unfamiliar or at least unable to relate with the daily reality of people of color. Uh, the Bride of Christ is diverse and intentionally so, uh, which means that open dialogue, listening, and understanding with believers is not only crucial, but foundational to our unity and example as followers of Jesus. Uh, so, ladies, I think an appropriate place to start our discussion is how you reacted to the recent news of these three victims, uh, and if you believe these tragic stories are isolated or part of something more broad. Carly, let's start with you. Um, what was your reaction, and where did it take you as far as your own perspective on life and culture? Um, I think any time that you hear stories like that, you know, you feel sad for, um, like right when you hear it, you initially, you feel really sad, but I think just in the past, all of these incidents have been in the news just in the past, like two weeks. It's just yeah. like back to back to back. And mm -hmm. it's almost just like really, really overwhelming. I mean, it's going to be overwhelming when you hear like one isolated incident and then a few months later you hear another one, but like the fact that these have just all been back to back mm -hmm. to back, it's just really sad. And, and it makes me wonder, I know, you know, you had asked, do I think it's isolated? Or do I think there's something more broad? Um, I think it's just like the Bible says that there are um, spiritual forces that we can't see. And so I definitely think that, you know, it's a spiritual battle. Um, but I also think it's a battle that really, really begins in the heart. And mm -hmm. I think that all of these things have just made me wonder if people are really examining their hearts. What do people think when they see people of color and, you know, just continuing to see these problems. I don't know. It just makes me wonder um, if people are really checking their hearts. I don't know if that made sense, but I know those are some things that I've really been thinking of just after watching the news and hearing these stories. Yeah, definitely. The, the frequency of them being so close um, has people seeing a pattern. And I think, Rightly so, because I think if you take a 30,000-foot view, not only these last three stories, but what's happened over the last few years, um, I think you can easily see a pattern, um, all kind of in different contexts and, and reasoning and, and all that. But really, it's, um, it's a disturbing pattern and trend that needs to be addressed. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Uh, Mickey, how about, how about you? Um. I mean, my my initial reaction is is really just numbness. I, I go numb immediately just out of self-preservation because for me, um, it hurts too much. It's it's just such mm. a, a heavy burden to really mm. 
just be trying to carry with you at all times. And the reality of it is we are carrying this. We are walking into every single room and every single situation carrying this weight of who will be next. Um, and, you know, is there anything that I can do? It's this kind of general feeling of hopelessness, at least for me. Um, because every time you see another news story, and like Carly said, they were back to back to back. I, you know, I see my brothers, I see my dad, and that is mm. exhausting to constantly just be in this worry for yeah. people that you love and care about. And and mm. I don't know these um, these individuals that were tragically killed, and yet you feel that. You, you walk around with that. And so um, initially, as, as I'm reacting to these incidents, you know, I would see posts uh, about, um, you know, injustice from some of my white brothers and sisters. And that initially encouraged me because they were voices that I had not yet heard or seen speak out about topics like this. And so that was initially encouraging in the midst of despair because you're going, okay, finally, somebody else is one using their platform um, or, or finally just breaking the silence or, or maybe just finally realizing for the first time, hey, this is not okay and I need to say something about it. Um, mm -hmm. So I was, I was grateful for that. But then when it continues to happen and when it, it keeps happening, um, you know, in, in such quick succession, um, you have to wonder, you know, is, is there really something that can be done? Um, and I do think that there's always a bigger story, you know, in talking about isolated events versus um, a broader issue. There's always a bigger story. We're all part of a story that connects each other. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a disservice to, you know, think about whether or not it's isolated or whether it fits into this bigger story, because we are all part of this bigger story. You yeah. know, we are all walking through this together. And my thing is, if a people group is crying out, and saying, this is unfair, this is unjust, you know, please, we need people to, to look at us and, and be on our side and, and advocate for us, you know, hear that cry is, is, what, I, is what I would want for people to, you know, to think mm -hmm. about when, when people have to constantly have the talk with kids in the Black community about how to behave when they encounter law enforcement because of the color of their skin, when most television episodes that reflect the black community have episodes about what it's like to um, experience racism for the first time as a child. When that is a coming of age story that has to be told in every iteration, then yes, there is a broader topic. Yes, there is a bigger story. Mm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Very well put. Uh, powerful. Uh, you know, uh, just kind of pulling out what, what, what one of the things that you said of when you hear a people group calling out for help, help them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, I, I think uh, people, including myself, who have good intentions and, and want to help um, might pacify uh, their uh, feelings of in injustice by making a post on social media or having maybe one conversation with friends that, that they know already share the same opinion and, and perspective. Mm. And, and then that's it. Um, and I think, um, much, um, 
definitely not the same thing, but as far as tragedies that, that, that keep occurring and, and, a, and a pattern, um, I kind of link um, how I've been dealing and reacting personally with these tragedies to those of shootings, mm-hmm. school shootings and massacres. And there's arguments about gun laws, taking them away, making it harder to get with a more comprehensive background check and arguments and all that. And it becomes a political argument when lives are being lost. And these recent tragedies, these are real people. These Mm -hmm. represent brothers and sisters in Christ and children of God made in his image who Mm -hmm. have biological families of their own. And yeah, we, we can't just stand by and say that's wrong because if we can stand by and say that's wrong, but if we don't do anything about it, you know, uh, in the same light, faith without works is dead. And he's yeah. not, ta- and James wasn't talking about salvation. He was talking about your practical faith that you engage with and grow um, in the church together and meet together and all that. If there's no actions and works behind that, um, then it's, useless. You know, uh, God had the Israelites march around Jericho several times, but they had to blow the trumpet, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were part of the process and yes, God is sovereign. Um, and he moves in powerful ways, um, that sometimes don't involve us directly, but most of the time it does involve us because he uses us for his glory. Um, and it's also for our good, even if we can't mm-hmm. see what the good of it is. And the only good I can see from any of this is sparking more dialogue, more conversation and us being faced with our own brokenness. And me personally, I realized, you know, these terrible acts that are happening, I am capable of them because I have the same broken heart. Um, My heart and my mind have already condemned me, even if I haven't done actual actions of violence or, or murder or anything else. Um, and it, it, it needs to be addressed, but healthy dialogue is a key part of that. And I don't think that's happening. And I think if, if that were happening, um, then it would, it would kind of help advance the whole conversation and, and how to act. Right. Um, and that can be difficult, but it's yes. just overwhelming, you know, thinking yes. about what to do for people who are watching the news and shaking their heads going, this is terrible, but what am I even supposed to do about it? I mean, when you do start with that dialogue, like you said, you know, start there, start yeah. with a conversation, start trying to figure stuff out, you know, it doesn't have to be this well thought out plan. It's just get in there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think people too have to not be afraid of just how uncomfortable the conversation is because a lot of people will stay away from that kind of dialogue and that kind of conversation because it is uncomfortable, but what's going on right now is a whole lot more uncomfortable to watch Mm -hmm. and to sit back and see and, and witness. And so I think that if people would just, you know, I mean, you're going to be afraid, but do it afraid. You know, I want to say, just stop being afraid to talk about it. Even if you are afraid, talk about it anyway, because that's the only way that things are going to get figured out. I've seen, you know, just in, in my life and in conversations that I've had with, um, you know, friends that are white, um, the conversations are a little bit awkward and uncomfortable, but I've always left feeling like, oh my goodness, like, I feel like we got somewhere. And so if you just, if you just start, if you just take a 
teeny tiny step, even if it's as small as asking like, what can I do? How can I help? Um, you know, those conversations are really awkward. They're really uncomfortable, but they're so needed. And I think that more people need to, to, to have them. And if you're going to have them and you're afraid, have them afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And definitely uncomfortable, but, um, you have to take that first step. Um, uh, uh, I have friends who are local who are part of a racial reconciliation group called Threaded. Um, and it involves multiple people from different congregations, um, Caucasian, African-American, Asian, Hispanic. Um, and one thing that I've heard and even recently and, and seen on, on Twitter and Facebook and everything else are people um, in the African-American um, community um, almost feeling undue pressure to respond and like when events like this happen um, their white friends flock to them and say mm-hmm. what do I do what what do I do and they are feeling tired of it and, and overwhelmed mm-hmm. and Michaela I think you said that in, in your opening statement like like I'm just tired I'm yeah. just done and I think uh, like I said people with good in, in intentions can still cause hurt, cause pressure, cause stress. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I think especially as believers, we need to take everything to God and prayer first. Um, and not always feel like we have to unload everything on other people, even if it's for help. Um, mm-hmm. God is there for us first and foremost we have the power that raised Jesus from the dead within us, the Holy spirit. And, um, he conveys, uh, our thoughts to the father, but, um, yeah. Do, do either of you feel that, 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 that pressure that some people that I know recently have, have talked about? I don't think I feel the pressure if I'm going to be honest. And I think it's because it's something that's, that's that's not really talked about that's not asked enough and i th- i think okay. it's going to it's going to vary with who you talk to um and i think it's going to just kind of depend on like what um like what context you're in but i feel like um just in the spaces that i've been in oklahoma it's something that really is not talked about with certain you know certain groups and when it is i'm like oh my goodness and so i jump at the chance to talk about it but i could see how you know, it could put a lot of pressure on people because, you know, it is when, when you see these incidents and these killings and murders and things, um, happen, like that's already super heavy. Um, you know, and and so I can only imagine like, you know, if, if you're already feeling that and then someone kind of comes and says, okay, what can I do? How can I, you know, you, you do kind of begin to feel a bit overwhelmed, but I think at the same time, like, I don't, I don't feel that way when people ask me that because it's something that I rarely ever get asked. And so mm-hmm. when someone does want to talk about it, I'm like, oh my goodness, like you, you want to talk about this? Like you, you want to have a conversation? Okay, let's do it. So I don't know. I think that could kind of depend on just what context you're in or, you know, where you're at, who you, you know, who's in your circle or who talks to you. So I don't know. And Michaela might feel, you know, completely different about that. It is, it is a little bit different for me only because I have been asked that. But what's interesting is um, I feel that pressure because I get asked right then, you know, while mm-hmm. the news is still coming in of this tragedy. And so you're grieving and then you're supposed to also 
at that point try to help an advocate and a brother or sister figure out how to help in the moment. But when you are processing mm. and grieving, you mm. don't have the real capacity to do that. You know, yesterday I struggled um, with just the news that was coming in and I had to cancel meetings. I just didn't have the mental capacity to do all the things I was supposed to do. And I did get a sweet text message from a sister in Christ who was just saying, I'm praying for you and I can't believe this is happening. I don't know what, what else can I do? How can I help? And, and it's a beautiful question. It's a beautiful sentiment. But in that moment, it's just like, I don't know what to tell you to do because I don't even know how I'm trying to process this. Mm -hmm. However, I think that those people who are willing to dive in and ask those difficult questions have to remember to ask them when the news has faded from the latest tragedy. Mm. Because that's when that's when I'm I'm mentally able to go, well, here are some thoughts. Here's my perspective. But I can't do that in the moment. I'm too busy trying to take care of myself and make sure that, you know, I'm okay, my family's okay. Um, so it's important to me to talk about those things in the in-between. That's, that's where the real work gets done. Um, and that's where the jumping in and, and talking about it, um, means pushing past that fear because there is no news article that gives you that doorway in. Yeah. But you have to talk about it anyway. It's so it's not like a trend. Like, I feel like people talk, right. they want to talk about it when it's, when it's trending, when it's happening, but then when it kind of dies down, it's like, uh, we don't have to. So no, I definitely agree with that. I think mm -hmm. kind of in those in-between moments, uh, which that's so sad that we even have to say in-between moments, but mm -hmm. you know, like when, when their name, it kind of isn't a trending hashtag or a trending topic anymore, you know, when somebody is killed or, you know, something like that. Um, I think those are some good times to talk about it because it kind of shows you that um, you're not looking to just fight racism and fight injustice when it's relevant, but right. like it's actually in your heart and you're wanting to do it when it's not in the news. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to be able to, yeah, because that, that shows a commitment that shows um, discernment um, and awareness outside of just yourself. Uh, right. Because I, I think even with the best intentions, I've used that, that term a lot, but I think we kind of ebb and flow with the cultural tide. And when a story is not talked about as much, we tend to focus on what are the, what are the stories that are being talked about? So I can jump in and have a relevant piece of conversation to add but the thing that's, that happened last is still relevant because it's still powerful and it's still affecting us when the mm -hmm. next thing happens. And yeah. if we don't deal with it in the in-between, it builds. Mm -hmm. And if you don't do anything with it or you don't know what to do with it, then whenever any kind of situation like that happens, you kind of shrug your shoulders and say, I don't know what to do. I guess I'll just move on. And that's right. how conversation on important issues like like these just fade away and um, i would and say too it's it's also important um for my black brothers and sisters and other people of color to be open when people want to have a conversation when you are mentally and and emotionally able to have that conversation be the type of person of color that somebody can ask a question to um, because it, you know, that, that dialogue has to happen both ways. And I remember growing up in, um, in South Florida where you've got all these different, um, races, it, it's, it's such an important thing to be the type of person that somebody can go. So how does it work? Um, 
with your kinky curly hair versus my super straight hair and ask those questions um, and be able to give them an answer instead of going, why are you asking me stuff like that? You know, go mm -hmm. ahead and, and meet people at, at their, um, you know, at their questions and, and trying yeah. to figure things out because, um, because it's going to take that openness, which is hard for people who have been traumatized, for people who are exhausted. I, I understand yeah. that. Um, and yet we have to be able to, um, when we're ready, be open to those conversations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so uh, as we've kind of just talked about, the, the uh, three of us undoubtedly influence our ministries with our own perspectives on the culture and how God is at work. Um, one, of the big picture, one of the big picture issues within the fabric of students leaving their faith after high school is what to do with the problem of evil. Uh, we can talk in broad theological terms regarding sin, salvation, and restoration, but practical application and further discussion on specific issues tends to shed new light on how students view others in light of their creator and sustainer. Um, and we need uh, to be able to um, know how to guide those conversations as workers who guide and teach youth. Um, Michaela, let's, let's start with you on this question. Uh, how has your ongoing experience molded your methods of teaching and showing those in your ministry that racism and prejudice are very much active today? So I have a very uh, unique context um, because I am one of the only black people um, a lot of times on any given Sunday morning sometimes, um, but for sure in my youth group, I just in, you know, this 2020 graduating year, um, graduated my last child who, um, she identified as biracial. Um, and so everybody else is not a person of color. Hmm. And, um, so for me, that creates a very, very interesting tension. Um, I, I mean, I'm grateful for the the place that I get to serve and the way that I feel that God has prepared me for that just based on my own upbringing and experience. Um, but for me, it becomes difficult to figure out, you know, when to broach a topic and when not to. Um, and so there's, there's so much that you carry into that, to that space because I look around and I'm going, there is no one who understands my perspective. Um, in this room. And so to know that and then also feel the responsibility to try to teach students about the evils of the world, but also including racism in that is a really difficult task. Um, and so I try to do certain things like when I'm using examples and when I'm talking about a scripture lesson, lesson, I try to make sure that I throw in examples about, well, if you're getting picked on because of the color of your skin or, um, you know, because you're dealing with racial bias and stuff like that, even though my students, I feel like overall don't feel like they deal with a lot of that stuff because of their particular context. But I feel like I have to explain those things to them and throw them in there so that they know they're out there so that they know that this is real. Um, and it's coming from somebody who has experienced them. Um, and, and honestly, I have been, I've been at my spot for six years now. And two weeks ago was the first time that I specifically picked a lesson 
about race and racism and racial racial bias and how to work through that with my students. Um, one, because I felt like the news was a great opportunity to um, to touch on that with them. But at the same time, it's also really difficult to figure out when to do that so that it's received well um, from me, kind of the spokesperson for these issues seemingly in my context. Um, so, so I just try to help students understand that there is a bigger picture, that these issues are out there, that I have experienced them, even if you don't necessarily think they are real because of your experience. You know, I try to bring that, um, bring that aspect to them. So it's, it's definitely an interesting spot to be in. Yeah, it, it sounds like hard, but then exciting because you get to bring new education and, and knowledge, but hard because uh, you probably seem alone a lot in some of that just because of who's around you on staff and in, in your youth group. Mm-hmm. Um, Carly, uh, how about you uh, as far as your ongoing experience and how that's molded how you teach and show uh, the children and students in your ministry about racism and those things being prevalent in today's culture? So the youth group that I have is predominantly black or biracial. So um, I would say we're about 98% group of color. Um, And so we're kind of on the other end of the spectrum. We have kids that are dealing with racism and prejudice. Um, You know, just even on a trip that we took one time to go eat at the food court in the mall uh, for youth group one Wednesday night, um, we experienced racism and prejudice and and all sorts of stuff just going out to eat. And Mm. so they're kind of on that end where they see it done towards them. And so it's always, always, always in their face. And so we've kind of had to have conversations about, okay, how does this make you feel? How does it, and you know, how, um, how does this make you making you feel? And then we've also had to talk about, okay, as believers, as Christians, like this is so horrible that this is still happening, but um, kind of teaching along the lines of number one, like, what can we do to fight it? Like, what can we do as believers to fight against racism? And then two, what can we do to fight against the hate that might build up in our heart? Because mm-hmm. I've definitely seen some of the kids in our youth group, um, you know, even ones that are biracial and have, you know, one white parent because of the things that they've seen due to being half black, like they have hate built up in their heart um, towards white people, towards Caucasian Mm. people. And so having to teach them like, no, it's not okay for us to hate, you know, having to have those conversations, like we can't fight fire with fire. Um, You know, so I feel like that's kind of how we've dealt with the topic of racism in our youth group. And, um, kind of like Michaela, like we've set aside some time to specifically like talk about it, make lessons about it, but it becomes, I feel like sometimes like it won't even be on the agenda for youth group that morning or, you know, Wednesday night, but because of something that's in the news or because of what's trending, that's what we'll talk about. Um, because that's what's on their heart. That's what's on their mind. Um, and again, you know, just teaching them, giving them space to talk about it, giving them space to express what they're feeling because of what they've dealt with, but also at the same time reminding them, hey, like we're we're called to love just like Jesus loves. And sometimes that's really, really hard. But 
how do you think we can fight against it? And I will tell you, if you ask teenagers that question, they will, they have some answers and they will come up with the most creative ways and the coolest ways to fight against racism and to educate those in their lives on how to fight against it and how to end it. So um, I hope that answered your question. I always feel like I, I say that, but no, I hope that answered your question. I feel like that's kind of what we're doing in our context to um, you bring up the topic of racism and prejudice, but also to take a stand against it. Yes. Oh man. That, uh, as you were talking, uh, I thought, um, something for the first time, which now seems obvious, um, that constant, uh, facing of racism and pressure, um, definitely, uh, changes the lens of how someone's faith develops in the first place. That's a very, real, tangible, practical application of turn the other cheek that many of my students can't relate to because they don't face that. That's, mm. wow, you know, that, that, that's a powerful thing for, for me even to learn for, uh, from you talking about what's probably a, a normal incidence, unfortunately, and how your students experience interaction with others and, and from others. Um, yeah, the uh, frustration that probably bubbles over um, and how that changes uh, each Sunday morning or times that you all hang out together. Um, That definitely changes how that looks and uh, what the content of the discussion is. So that's powerful. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing. You, you definitely answered my question and then (laughs) some. (laughs) So yes, fantastic. Um, So uh, I wanted to end with uh, things to think about moving forward, both for our listeners and hopefully for future episodes. Um, So for those working with students, children, families, um, where is the best place to start the discussion on racism, reconciliation, and those topics, perhaps even more for those like me who are white? What do you all think? I think... Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Um, I think that if you as a white person, one, don't have any black friends or people of color to engage with on topics like this, Mm -hmm. that's problematic. Like that's like the first, you know, um, if you don't have real actual people in your lives that you consider to be friends and partners in whatever you do in life, whether it's ministry or what have you. Um, then you haven't truly integrated your life with other people. Mm. And it has to start with, you know, bridging that gap as a person, as an individual. Um, and then you have those relationships where you can, um, you can build off of that and ask those difficult questions. I read this morning, um, it's a devotional by Craig Groeschel, and he was talking about initiating relationships. And he said, come prepared to listen a lot ask great questions and follow good examples. And Mm -hmm. that to me was just like, that's it. You know, we have to listen. We have to ask great questions um, and we have to follow good examples because, you know, that's how we learn from other people. And so I would say that, you know, if, if you have friends of color, but you aren't engaging in these topics, then you are missing a huge part of that person's life, a Mm -hmm. huge part of that person's life to not engage with them about a part of who they are is, you know, to, to honestly ignore a piece of who they are. And so as a friend, you have an opportunity there to engage with that. 
Um, and if, if all you can do is, is shake your head at the news and say, that's terrible. I can't believe this is still happening. That's not enough because you have to start asking and then waiting for a response. No, really, how is this still continuing? How has systematic racism created a problem? And how can I partner with you to move forward in this? Because, you know, maybe in, in a specific context, it's not about you feeling the need to, to march in the streets, although that may be it. But maybe um, it's just about you figuring out how to move forward with the people that you have in your context. You have to be willing to ask, well, what racism and prejudice can I call out uh, in your own life? What are you experiencing that I can leverage my position and who I am to help create that equality and and make that a place where we can, you know, you know, be together on that to truly be an advocate. Um, So I think I think that's where it starts. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. truly address prejudice with your students in your ministry if you as an adult are not actually interacting in the world on that level. Right. You know, you can't decide to teach a, a lesson on prejudice and racism to your students and use the Bible as an example if you yourself are not willing to actually engage in those things. So I think those are some places to, to start off with. Those are yeah. great places to start off with. Yeah. Carly, what, uh, what do you think? Okay, so I have two answers, and I'll try and, like, squeeze them together. But one, for sure, like, piggybacking off of what Michaela said, I honestly think, and I said this earlier, like it, it seriously starts with a heart check. Like if you're going to have that conversation, then you've got to be willing to take a look at yourself. I mean, just as believers, you know, like we have to take a look at our own sinful nature and, you know, repent and ask God for forgiveness or, you know, receive the Lord's grace, you know, but I think that if you're going to start that conversation, you got to take a look at yourself because I know some wonderful people who love the Lord and they serve the Lord, but when it comes to like maybe some racial bias that they have or some statements that they've made, I'm just kind of like, you know, like you, you need to go and work on that, like check your heart, you know? And so I think that before you begin, you need to ask yourself, okay, well, how do I feel if I don't have people of color in my circle? Why don't I, if I see a person of color walking my way and I think this or that about them. Why do I do that? And just repenting and choosing love. And then my second answer would be to know that it's a topic that's still happening and that it's something that's relevant. And it's something that all groups need to talk about, whether you have an all white group or you have a diverse group or an all black group, you know, we, I feel like a lot of youth pastors, anytime I've seen the topic of race come up or or pastors or whoever, they're like, well, we just preach the gospel and that's just going to cover everything. But you create series, you do a four week series on relationships, you do a four week series on sex and dating, you do a four week series on, you know, homosexuality and all those things. Yes, we need to talk about them, but we stay away from racism and Mm. it needs to be talked about. And, you know, I just, I don't understand why. I mean, I, I understand it's, it's awkward again. It's, it's uncomfortable, but it needs to be talked about because it's happening and your students, whatever color they are, whatever context they're in, they need to know that it's wrong. They need to know as believers, how we need to stand up um, against injustice. And it's, it's honestly just something that we need to begin to work into our ministries. Like we need to intentionally talk about that in our ministries. I'm not saying like, 
you know, every single week you need to find a way to have like, um, all right, we're going to have a minute. We're going to talk straight up about racism, you know, don't be <laughs> weird, but you know, it's, it's something that needs to be talked about. And I'm seeing one thing that I love seeing is that, you know, here in the state of Oklahoma, the typical youth pastor is, you know, middle-aged white man, nothing wrong with that, you know, but that's just usually what you see. Um, but what I'm loving is that I'm seeing more and more of those middle-aged white men, like opening up the floor to have a conversation about racism. And mm-hmm. so I'm like, all right, it's starting there. Now we need to trickle it down to the student ministries. We need to, you know, find a way to talk about this because um, we can't just keep throwing, I, I don't want to call it the gospel band aid, but we don't need to just keep saying, well, we're just going to talk about the gospel. And then that's it. Like, no, like, yes, yes the gospel, it encompasses all of this. So, okay, let me calm mm-hmm. down. Blood pressure is getting a little high. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> no, those are my answers. And I said I was going to squeeze them together. I didn't, but Girl, you there preaching. We go. <laughs> I'm all about it. I'm about oh, it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I need I, water. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. Um, yeah. To, 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 to just say, well, we're, we're preaching the gospel. So it's covered. You know, I think, the uh, gospel to your point, it's so much more than Jesus died for me and I'm going to heaven. It's mm-hmm. the entire context of how we view the world, who God is, how he works and what it means for us to be sanctified and grow more and be transformed into his image. And reconciliation is at the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Um, Jesus broke down the wall of hostility, Paul says, and we need to talk about the hostility that's still active uh, in our culture today. I remember several years ago uh, on a Wednesday night, I did a a series about hostility and peacekeeping and things like that. And my my opening question was, um, okay, imagine that you're in your favorite restaurant in a booth that's like half a circle and you invite your, your best friends to come and join you and instead of your best friends, it's the people that you can't stand the most. And they get in that booth with you and none of you can leave for an hour and you have to talk about stuff. How would that make you feel and what would you talk about? And that produced shell shock uh, uh, on their faces. And, you know, it's kind of like, uh, well, you know, I just sit there and I guess I'd hear, but I just want to leave. And, you know, they were just trying to say something because they, they didn't know how, how to react. and when we are faced with these issues, they are real life issues happening to real life people. Um, and we need to be able to talk about it because uh, God uses us to reach people um, with his love. And if the church isn't speaking up about this, others are going to, but the church should be leading the way on this. Right. And to have series on certain topics is good, but yes, racism, prejudice, um, reconciliation, all those things, they need devoted time in the pulpit, in classrooms, um, uh, at-home guys that, that we give parents, um, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think over the last year or two, I've seen more and more uh, resources trying to broach that topic. Um, and I'm assuming uh, after what's been happening lately that hopefully more of those, um, will be created and and made available. But, um, yes, no, those are, um, both of you made fantastic points. Um, one thing I I wanted to add to, um, Michaela, when you were talking about, 
uh, Craig's uh, statement on that and making relationships and asking questions. Um, one thing that I try and make part of my philosophy of ministry with students owning their faith and not having it be their parents' faith or my faith yeah. for them is not being satisfied with an answer, but learning to ask better questions. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, the suggestion of um, making relationships with, with people of color um, to get to know them so you can hear and then realize kind of what's going on. The, the, the relationship shouldn't be a means to an end. The relationship itself should be the end. Preach, and we should, we should want to love people for who they are. They're made in God's image, whether they're a believer or not, whether they're like us or not. Mm-hmm. And the, the uh, more that we engage with people who don't look like us or think like us, I, th- I think the more that we see of ourselves because we see the contrast and we can see how we differ and several of the things that we don't understand because we don't have a perspective on it because that's not our life, but it's their life. And, and the more we look like better. Jesus. Yeah. That's, absolutely. That's Amen. Yeah. Absolutely. What did Jesus have in common with a tax collector or a prostitute? But that's exactly who he was hanging out with. We got to follow that example. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I love it. I love it. Well, uh, I could talk about this all night, <laughs> but um, I, w- I want to thank you both for your time. Um, I hope to have you on the podcast um, in the future um, because t- topics like these require a constant ear and attentive heart and ongoing dialogue. And for those of you who are listening, um, I hope it's okay, ladies, if they reach out to you via email or, or online and, and ask questions. Um, I Absolutely. think the more dialogue um that we have on this and the more people we have to talk about it and resources that we can find um i think the better we can equip our students guide them and how to think christianly and have a gospel perspective wherever they are and not just for themselves but for everyone else around them all of their brothers Mm -hmm. and sisters um who are experiencing things that are probably different than how they experience life in in general If you haven't already, please like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening to it. And be sure to check out our website, youthministrymaverick.com. There, you can see a comprehensive list of our guests, their bio information, some organizations that can help you in your ministry, some articles I've published, and a store to help support the podcast. Also, we would love if you give us a review on Apple Podcasts, not just a rating, but a review. It helps our visibility, and we would really appreciate that. If you do leave us a review, take a screenshot of it and send it to me, and I will personally mail you a thank you card with some podcast swag that you can't get on the store. Well, that does it for today. Thanks again for listening. Please share this if it helps others that you know, and we hope that you've been encouraged by it. Until next time, adios. Adios.